passion. I am a gamer, um, but I have a, a huge, huge passion for what the church looks like in digital space and why it's important for the coming generations. And so um, we're going to be working through the ecclesiology of a digital church. We're going to be working on deconstructing and reconstructing what church might look like and how church fits in to digital space. And then we're also going to be giving some thoughts and advice for if you are a physical church leader, um, how we need to begin thinking differently about the church and digital space, um, not just from a purely digital church planning perspective, but then also from a physical church using digital tools and occupying digital space. I'm going to tie my shoe. I'm sorry, stream. I appreciate that. Okay, so um, my name is Mark. Uh, I am the lead and uh, founding pastor of Lux Digital Church. We've existed uh, for almost, it'll be three years this upcoming March, um, but the dream for Lux started well, well before that. I've been a gamer my entire life. I always viewed that gaming ran in antithesis to my faith. Um, so I started um, playing Dungeons and Dragons in about sixth grade. I came to the Lord when I was about eight years old. I came back to the Lord whenever I was in seventh grade. I have an Imagine the Gathering player, Pokemon player, um, video game player, uh, mainly a tabletop gamer, though. Um, and so throughout most of my life, I always viewed that if I was playing a video game, I wasn't then also reading a Craig Rochelle book for leadership, or I wasn't in the Bible more often. And so I always kind of viewed that eventually my habit as a gamer would have to go away in order for me to be a good pastor. Um, but it didn't. Um, despite my desire by burning my World of Warcraft discs outside in a fire, um, by getting rid of, rid of my gaming systems, by saying I was, was going to reorganize my life and I wasn't going to game anymore, despite all of my attempts to get rid of my love for gaming, it wasn't going away. And that is when I realized that God had created me not just as a follower of Jesus and as a lover of his church, a leader in his church, but it also created me intimately as a gamer. And that's when I began to see the people of my tribe flocking to specific places that spoke my language, that understood my story, but didn't have access to the truth. So I was watching people like Tim the Tapman or Ninja or Dr. Lupo at the time when Fortnite got really big, streaming to hundreds of thousands of people, 40 and 50 hours a week, broadcasting their worldview, their ideology, and their understanding of who God is and how we needed to work through things. And they were having more influence over the coming generations than any church that I knew of was. And they were, they were just doing it in crazy, crazy numbers. And they were becoming millionaires by broadcasting their worldview unfiltered to the next generations. And I couldn't help but recognizing that something had to change. So in the summer of 2019, I started a podcast covering a no-name card game by Bethesda called The Elder Scrolls Legends that is now basically dead with a simple prayer, God, would you redeem my love for gaming? Would you take it and would you do something with it? And so I started the podcast and I began just interviewing people um, who were streamers and content creators. I had no reason that they would come on my podcast, but I was the only one podcasting about it. So I found a little niche. A couple hundred people started listening to it. And when I would get done podcasting with them, I would stop recording. I would say, listen, in addition to doing this podcast, I'm also a pastor. Um, is there any way that I could just pray for you? It's just a simple question. Build a relationship. Ask if I could pray for somebody. And people who were not believers from all across the world, New Zealand, Switzerland, all across the United States, um, they would just let me pray for them. That was it. And so I, I, would, I would pray for them. And, uh, and then God began answering those prayers, just like supernaturally. People who couldn't get pregnant were getting pregnant. People who couldn't find jobs were finding jobs. We were seeing people find healing. And then, weirdly enough, the Holy Spirit began to be at work. And so I'd be sitting in my 100-year-old basement, right, with my, with my Blue Yeti mic, right, and my, my, uh, my crappy webcam and my $30 lights. And, uh, and I would start praying for them. The Holy Spirit would just fall mightily on me. And then, and then the Holy Spirit would move in them. And I was like, I don't have a context for this because I don't think the Holy Spirit's allowed to do this. <laughs> like all of my theology informs that this is outside the boundaries of what God is capable of or willing to do, and yet I'm seeing it happening. And then I read a book by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And this is usually the thing when you think I might be a heretic or a crazy person helps ground me because I do read books. And I did read a book by Henry Blackaby. So just for the record, he's a really good dude and author. And in that book, he says, do not go and do things and ask God to bless them, but instead look and see what God is doing and partner with him in it, right? And so I was like, well, I was locking horns with leadership in my church. 
seemed like God wasn't answering any of my prayers. I'd been a youth pastor for five years at that church, six years at that church, a discipleship pastor for five years. I had 11 years of full-time ministry serving a church family. I loved deeply. I was slated to become the next lead pastor of that church. That pastor's actually handing off the reins to one of my buddies in the beginning of January of this year. So it was on the docket. I was, I was looking towards being the pastor of a thousand plus person church in a town of about 1,200 drawing from 50 some zip codes. It wasn't an unhealthy church. I wasn't dissatisfied in it. We had a healthy church. We were reaching people for Jesus. We were doing amazing things, but I was totally and completely dissatisfied because I had a taste for something different. And at some point in there, uh, a guy named Beefquake who uh, went to a universalist church, which I, uh, he also, he, he was a lot of things that don't exist, but um, the point was, the point was he, th- he thought he was a lot of different things. I never really had the heart to tell him everything that he was and just loved on Beefquake. He said, I would love to start a Discord server for you. At that point, I didn't have Discord. Keep in mind, I had been a gamer, but I used gaming to get away from people, not to connect with people, right? And so I went all day and I heard people's problems as a discipleship pastor. Then I came home to shoot at people um, in order to escape people. Like I did not want to come home and hang out with you on the internet. And truth be told, most days I still don't want to hang out with you on the internet. I want to play video games and listen to YouTube videos, not have conversations with people, right? It's still my escape. And so, um, and so anyway, after I read this book and I see what God is doing, Beefquake reaches out and said, can I start a Discord server for your community? I think people would really like it. And people started joining it, and I started having these conversations. And I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd have conversations with people. Before I go to bed at night, I'd be responding to conversations with people. And God began opening doors for me to disciple people. So at the end of my show, I began doing closing thoughts, and I just reworded stuff from Proverbs. So every Christian who listened to the, the podcast knew what was going on. And every Christian, every person who wasn't a Christian was like, oh, my gosh, this is really good advice. There's some really good advice you've given at the end of your show there, man. It's just been, it's been life-changing for me. <laughs> you don't know. It's just Proverbs reworded, right? That's all, that's all it really was. And so uh, I started just saying at the end of the show, hey, um, I'm a pastor in addition to doing this podcast. If you're out there, you just need someone to talk to. Just know that I would listen to you. And so I started having people contacting me from all across the world. Like, man, I'm going through a divorce. Man, I'm going to be a dad soon. I don't know how to be a dad. Man, I'm going through X, Y, or Z. Could you just, I would love just to talk with you. You seem like someone I could talk to. And so I started meeting with people exactly where they were, and I began discipling them. I've been telling them about Jesus. I began helping them understand how to walk out their faith. I was walking with them through divorce. I was walking through the, with them through becoming a father. I was just building relationships with people. And these relationships began to become, like, really profound. And it was somewhere in uh, the fall of 2019, um, I was already acquainted with God Squad Church. I'd seen what they were doing, and, and uh, my opinion has since changed, right? But in the back of my mind, there was some piece of me that was like, I think that might be heretical, right? No, no offense to GSC, because obviously I lead a digital church now, but I was known from the, from the stage at our church from saying God's plan A is the local church, and God doesn't make a plan B. I said it like once every three sermons that I preach. You can go back to newlifexn.org. You can hear me say it, right? And yet, every experience that I was having with the Holy Spirit was challenging all of these core beliefs that I had about what the church was. And so when God said, Mark, I think you're supposed to start an online church, I said, no, I'm not. Because the Bible says I'm not, so I'm not. Right? I ran it through that filter, and I was certain. And then I started, I started taking my dog for a walk, and I hate my dog. Um, but... <laughs> I do. She's just the worst. Um, but my mom has always said I'm not responsible enough to have a pet. So I take my dog for a walk to prove my mom wrong. Um, and uh, it's not just my mom. It's everybody. Let's just be real. Everyone thinks I have not been responsible enough to own a pet. So I take this, this dog for a walk. And I, I pray when I go for a walk with the dog, right? And, um, and the Holy Spirit just relentless sometimes, right? Sometimes you know it's from God just because it's like that moment. Man, it's like a strike bolt of lightning. And sometimes you're stubborn and the Holy Spirit is relentless. And so the Holy Spirit just wouldn't let it go. Every time I go for a walk, be like, I'm supposed to plant an online church. That can't be. That's Mark's talking. That can't be God talking. And I talked to my pastor. I said, how do you know when you're supposed to start a church? Because he had planted our church. And he said, Mark, if you're supposed to start a church, God will give you a vision for his church. So between Christmas and New Year's of 2019, I just started taking the dog for a walk. And I just said, God, if, if you're going to give me for a vision for the church, you better just give it to me. And I began to work through some questions that we're going to go ahead and throw up on the screen and go to the first slide. I began to ask myself, what in the heck is a church? <laughs> is the church a location? I was like, yeah, it was. But this was, um, this was COVID, so, or it was coming up to COVID, so it, it would quickly not be a location. But is a church a location? Yeah, kind of, kind of. 
Is the church an event? Well, we had an event. So certainly, yeah, the church is kind of an event. Is the church a people? Yeah. Yeah, the church is, the church is definitely a people. Remember, here's the church, here's the steeple, look inside, see all the people. I, I was in Sunday school. I knew. I had a felt board, so I understood. Right? But then I was like, okay, but the gym is not a church, and that's a location. And Oktoberfest in my town is an event, but that's also not a church. And there's certainly a culture in my local coffee shop and in my local, local microbrewery. There are people, but that's also not a church. So the church has to be something a little bit bigger than that, maybe. Maybe the, maybe the church is a little bit more. So I started digging through scriptures and taking the dog for a walk. And as God poured me through the scriptures, I realized that most of what I knew about the church had far more to do with what I was comfortable with than what was biblical. And as I say that, and you're like, I think he is a heretic. I'm going to show you pictures of my family and help you ground me. Go to that picture of my family. Helps ground me just so you're like, oh, he's a real person. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Isn't that nice? It looks really nice. So really quickly, this is my, that's a little blurry, but that's my wife, Jen, and that's my daughter, Ari. That second one there is my daughter, Brooklyn. She's six. She's just wicked smart. I mean, just crazy just crazy, crazy. Her IQ is so much higher than mine. Um, Aria is just chaos incarnate. She's almost never clothed. Literally, like, you leave her in the room for five minutes, she takes off all of her clothes. She's naked literally almost all the time. Um, one time, this little girl asked if she could put makeup on my face and asked me to close my eyes, and then reached in her diaper, pulled out poop, and rubbed it on my lips. Not even joking. That's, she's just... She's that, right? She's just canned chaos. I'm not joking, right? And this little girl over here on the far left is my Ugandan daughter, Lynette. Our church has partnered with a school and an orphanage in Uganda. I've been supporting Lynette since she was four. She calls me Papa. She lives in the school and in the orphanage there in Uganda. She is uh, not my biological daughter, but I very much view her as being my spiritual daughter. So there's my family. Let me show you a couple pictures of my church, the church that I work for. I worked for New Life for 11 years. Like I said, this is a children's ministry. I actually still attend there most, most Sundays. My wife and I still attend this church. I serve in that children's ministry. I'm the fourth and fifth grade small group leader. I hang out with the kids. It's the big white cross that's on the front of our church that our neighbors hate because it illuminates their front yard. Um, and that's Pastor Chris, our, our stage there uh, in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Chris sits on our board. He's my spiritual father, a uh, person that I really deeply, deeply seek to honor with the way that I live my life, carrying forward his legacy of innovation inside of the church space. So as I was walking the dog and then pondering to myself, what exactly is a church? If it's not just a location, if it's not just an event, and if it's not just a people, then what the heck is it? And God brought me to Acts chapter 2. Oh, yeah, let's do this first. This is good. This is good. This is a good one too. Um, It brought me to Acts chapter 2, but before we do that, let's talk about these three words. So for me, when it came to the Bible, I had uh, two words really to understand, or two phrases to understand. I had the biblical, and then I had the non-biblical, the stuff that is, again, like the not-Bible stuff, right? And for me, you want to do the biblical stuff, but you didn't want to do the not-biblical stuff. I had a friend named Jared who was a mentor and planted churches for Four Corners Church, just an awesome guy, who gave me a little bit more of a context. He said, Mark, there is the biblical, there is the non-biblical, and there is the anti-biblical. And when it comes to starting a church, you want to do all the biblical stuff. You don't want to do any of the anti-biblical stuff. And you want to discern the non-biblical stuff. And just a heads up, most of us, in terms of what we do for church on a Sunday morning, we do a lot, mostly non-biblical stuff. We do stuff that is not found in the Bible anywhere. Spoiler alert, um, the way you structure your bulletin, not in the Bible. Paul never gave an order of service for the church uh, in Ephesus, um, there's nowhere that it says three songs, prayer, sermon, one song, offering, announcements, dismissal. It's not in the Bible. There's no narthex in the Bible. There's not a building plan, um, whether you should or shouldn't have a steeple. The Bible's not even a, a word in the Bible whether or not you should have a cross at the front of your sanctuary. Um, there's, there's nothing in the Bible about what instruments you're supposed to use on your stage. There's nothing in the Bible. It has a lot to do with how we park people, how we welcome people, you know, the seven impressions that people get on their first time there, so they'll get there the next time. The one person that they'll get to meet in the first three weeks that if their dog died, they would tell them that that's the type of relationship that you want. I was an assimilation pastor, and so I would connect people in these ways, right? I knew all of the rules and all of the tricks and all of the stuff, and all of it made me comfortable, and none of it was in the Bible. The Bible is actually pretty simplistic when it comes to church and what a church is. 
Now, that doesn't mean that any of those non-biblical things are wrong or they're bad. They just need to be discerned, right? There's lots of cultural things that are in our churches that are very, very good, and they're super, super helpful for reaching the non-believer and the unchurched and the de-churched. And they should stay. They're just not necessary. They're important. They're just not necessary. But spoiler alert, youth ministry is not biblical, it's non-biblical. It's not anti-biblical. The Bible isn't against it. But we started youth ministry because the Industrial Revolution took our parents out of our homes, and so we just went ahead and shipped all of our spiritual and moral upbringing to the church of our kids. And so we started youth ministries and children's ministries. You know what the Bible says? That a parent should raise their children in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. Not the church should raise a child in the way that it should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. Youth ministry, children's ministry, not a bad thing, just not in the Bible. Okay? And so there's tons of stuff that we do as a church that's very, very good, but isn't necessarily biblical. And most of those things make me feel comfortable, but I was being called to start a church that I was absolutely not comfortable in. I had no social media presence. I was the micro church pastor, the let's get together and sit around the table and eat dinner together. The, man, I want to hold hands with you deep, impactful community. I, was, I knew nothing about cameras. I like video games, once again, not to connect, but to get away from people. I didn't know anything about microphones. I learned all of it from Harris Heller in 30 days on YouTube, okay? I didn't know any of that stuff, right? But God was asking me to start this church, and he took me to Acts chapter 2, so let's throw it up there. Where he says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, there's not a ton in the Bible that will give you exact instructions on what a church is, but I think this is about the closest that you get. And there's other passages that you can apply to this that I think are applicable, but I think they fit into this rather nicely. I came across really about six words in this, or six ideas in this. The first one um, tied all the rest together, which is this word devoted. They devoted themselves. The Greek, the word devoted, means steadfast continuing. That they would steadfastly continue in a grouping of actions. What were those actions? In the apostles' teaching. They steadfastly continued in the apostles' teaching. They steadfastly continued in prayer. They steadfastly continued in community. They steadfastly continued in the sacraments. This would be the Lord's Supper. I would also extend that to include baptism. And then they steadfastly continued in generosity. I think you could extend that to worship as well, but I think the ancient Jewish understanding of worship was a lot healthier and fuller than our evangelical sort of Western view of worship, which is pretty much limited to singing songs. So I didn't include that in this, but you certainly could include worship in that and have six key devotions as well. So I asked myself, can we actually be a church digitally? If I'm away from all of the non-biblical stuff, the stuff that sh could be part of our church and should be discerned through but isn't necessary, and if I'm willing to step out of a church that I'm comfortable in into a church, because let's just be real, the church that I was comfortable in, no one who wasn't a believer was coming to, right? There were some people who were, but for the most part, they weren't coming in droves. And if I was comfortable there, I could almost guarantee the people that Jesus spent most of his time with were going to be uncomfortable there right? You want to know why a lot of people come to church? Man, they just don't stick. It's because we have an absolutely thick, almost can cut it subculture that they don't want to be a part of. They don't want to listen to our songs. They don't want to dress like us. And even if we say, come how you are, our culture is so stinking thick that it's very clear in a short amount of time that come as you are means come as you are until you become like us, right? And they just weren't comfortable in it. And to be honest, I wasn't comfortable in it. I felt like it was killing my heart. <laughs> I felt like I was losing my soul building systems to mechanically move people further and deeper into our church so that I could check the boxes and show the stats. And I loved my church, still do. I'm not, I'm not disparaging our church, I loved it. So I asked myself, can I actually do these things in digital space? Is it possible to steadfastly continue in the apostles' teaching? I was like, I think I can. I, I think I can. I think if, if I look at the just chatting streams online, I think we can do that. Can we steadfastly continue in prayer? Man, I'm already doing that. 
Can community happen? I would have told you no. But over the last couple of months, I have learned that I'm building deep, impactful relationships that are transforming people's lives. And these are people I'm never going to meet. Now I just say I'll never hug them till heaven, right? Because, because we just, really our problem with digital is we don't operate from an eternal mindset often enough. In, inside, we just think, oh, if I can't meet you here and now in this temporal life, that this relationship isn't real. We're going to spend heaven eternity in heaven with them, just a heads up. Community, so community. Could we, could we be in the sacraments? Now, this is a catch one for you. Depending on what your faith background is, maybe you can't. For me, the sacraments were an outward expression of an inward conviction. And I just didn't believe, as Matt said before, that my hands were that important in it. <laughs> and so I still wanted people to get dunked underwater when they decided to follow Jesus, and I wanted them to participate in the Lord's Supper because we needed to steadfastly continue in those things because the church should for all generations until Jesus returns. However, I was just convinced that we could find creative ways to do that. And then what about generosity? Well, certainly the church could be generous in digital space. I was watching people walking away with 500K a month just so that their, their comments could be read out on stream, right? People donating 250 bucks to Tim the Tapman just so their comment will be read. Certainly there could be generosity in this space. Certainly that was a possibility. So I said, if we can do all five of these key devotions, if we can steadfastly continue in each of them, then I think that we could be a church. I think that we could. So then I asked myself, well, what the heck is the purpose of the church? We come back to Matthew 28, and it says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen, the, the purpose of the church isn't to perform live services. The purpose of the church isn't to build buildings. The purpose of the church isn't to make converts. The purpose of the church is to make disciples. That's the purpose. And I was like, dang it, if I'm not making more disciples online than I am in person. <laughs> so I was like, okay. We can devote ourselves to the things that we need to devote ourselves to be a church. We can steadfastly continue in them. We can fulfill the purpose of the church. And then it became a thing where it was like, not only is a church possible here, but a church is necessary here. And it's a church that I'm absolutely uncomfortable in, and it is not the church that I would have chosen. <laughs> but it was the church that God was leading us to start. And so in March of 21, we launched a deluxe digital church. You want to go to the next slide so I know where I'm headed next? It would be awesome. So then let's talk for a moment about the problem. Let's talk about the problem with online church. So we're talking about online church in general. Now you know our story about how we launch a church. Now you know the ecclesiology behind it, a little bit the Bible, a little bit the theology and my thought press behind why I get to stand face to face with Jesus one day in the judgment seat of Christ. And I can say with some level of confidence that I was part of leading a portion of the bride of Christ. And I can say that without feeling like I might, you know, get condemned in that seat because of what I've done, right? because I take that very seriously. I don't really have to answer to you. If you don't think that I'm a church, that's fine. But Jesus, sure the heck better, because I'm going to have to answer to him one day, okay? And so I began to ask myself, what's the problem with the digital church, and what are we doing right now that we need to change in order to reach the next generation? Because suddenly we were seeing lives radically transformed in ways that I didn't think was possible, and I didn't think God could do or was willing to do. So I did a quick search online, and I just asked, uh, I asked Google, hey, how do I welcome my online attendees at church? And so I picked up a blog that said 10 ways to welcome people in your church. And this, is, this was the number one. It says, welcome to my, it says church name here. Let's just say Cornerstone. We all have one of those, right? Welcome to Cornerstone Church. That's a joke. I'm sorry if you pastor in a Cornerstone Church, but there is three of them in your state probably. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. We're so glad you are here. We know that many of you are visiting us from a distance, and so we sincerely hope that you'll spend some time looking around our website to get a better sense of what we have to offer. It's the number one recommendation. We're an online church community that believes in the power of community and fellowship. We're excited to connect with you and help you find a place. Let me ask you if this sounds familiar. Hi, welcome to Cornerstone Church. We're so glad to have everybody in there. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Man, we just give it up for our worship team. They did such a good job today. I just want to say thank you and all of our other campuses out there. You guys are amazing. Let me just tell you, those of you who are online with us today, you're part of our church family. Can I just get the house of the Lord to clap for the people who are online today? Welcome to the house of the Lord. You're here with us. We love you, and we appreciate you, and then we never again acknowledge the fact that people on the other side of the camera or the mic exist. Just stop acknowledging them. I'm sick and tired of the church complaining about consumeristic Christianity when the only thing we put online is the most consumeristic thing we have to offer. You want to be done with consumeristic Christianity? Then you got to stop making consumeristic products. 
If I hear one more pastor who gets, at the, gets on the stage or stands at the pulpit and berates the people who are watching from their pajamas on their couch at home when they are the church that's providing the live stream that lets the people be in their pajamas at home, I might lose my mind. Listen, we've had a problem with spiritual obesity for a long time inside the church. People come and they eat and they're like, listen, you need to give me something deeper. And I'm like, you need to go out and work. Like you, you, you're educated beyond your level of faithfulness already. Like you don't need any more information. You need to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus for people, right? And so is it a surprise that in an era of spiritual obesity inside of our churches, that if we provide for them the opportunity to spiritually stay at home and not engage, that they will stay at home and not engage. It's a consumeristic product for a consumeristic culture. Listen, every pastor who has started a church or who's been in ministry has started with relationships first. I was trained in youth ministry in my undergraduate, relational ministry, relational ministry, relational ministry, relational ministry, relational ministry. When I got into youth ministry, we grew the ministry through relational ministry. I built relationships with leaders. I built relationships with students. I went to games. I went to plays and musicals. I spent time with them where they were, wherever they were in town. Man, my, my year as a youth intern, I worked 60 hours a week. I made $75 every other week, and I spent every day on an old BMX bike with middle schoolers in town. Like, that's what I did, relational ministry. But then when it comes to the digital space, the church doesn't think relationship first. They think platform first. So the first question we got during COVID was not, how do we get a way to connect with our people that we would usually be connecting with on the weekends, but we don't have any opportunity to connect with? It became, what's the best way for us to take what we're doing from our stage and put it online so people can still watch it? And they were surprised when there was an engagement with it. And the church is looking for an answer to the engagement question. Listen, I, this is no, no heat on my church, but I pulled up their Instagram, the church that I come from. I pulled up their Instagram, and I flicked through from current date until COVID. And there wasn't a single post on there that wasn't an advertisement for something they were doing. And they were upset when our churches don't see people engaged. Well, I don't know about you, but I've never seen anybody walk into a church in Arthex, look at the bulletin board, see the ad, for trunk or treat, grab a piece of scrap paper and write, this just changed my life and pin it up underneath. It's never happened. I've, it just, it's never happened. And let me tell you the first solution to our digital dilemma when it comes to the church. The digital space is a two-way street, but the church hasn't figured out there's another way. <laughs> The church, by and large, thinks that online is a one-way street, a place to ship their story, a place to sell their brand, a place to build their platform. What they have yet to realize is the most powerful and important part of the street is the other side. It's not the place just to tell your story. It is also a place to hear their story. That you can hear the story of any, play, any person from any place at any time, any culture, you have the ability, you want, to know, you want to know why streaming has become so big and so many people have come online to connect with people on Twitch? It's because there are people there who know their story. It's because Miss P knows stories of the people who are in her chat. It's because when they come into her stream, they're not just a screen name to her, right? They actually have a story and a narrative. She knows their struggle. She has an idea of what they've been through. She's had conversations with them. She's discipled them. She's walked through life with them. She knows their story. That's why there's engagement. And it's the same in the case for every other content creator and streamer in this room, that the reason that there's power there is because they've opened up the other side of the street to hear their story. And inside the church world, we only know how to use the right side of the street. And then we treat it like it's a one-way road. That the only thing we're really online for is to be able to get our sermon out there for people and to be able to tell people what we're doing. Hey, everybody, just make sure that you, um, that you like and share our, our post. We literally say that from the platform, right? Instead of opening up an opportunity to say, hey, I actually want to engage with you. I want you to be more than a screen name. I want you to be more than a profile picture. I want to know your story. You're a real person. You matter to Jesus deeply. Your spiritual story matters to Jesus, and it matters to me. And I'm going to create opportunities to open up conversations so that I can build a relationship with you and get to know you because relationship is the bedrock of ministry.
not platform. Next slide. Let me just talk real quick about a return to discipleship because this is online. I'll just be careful with these three stories. So if you're wondering, hey, like all of this stuff hypothetically sounds really good. It's not just hypothetical stuff. This is like boots in the ground, in the mud, every single day in ministry. So let me tell you three stories from our church. Digital relationships are not only possible, they're oftentimes faster moving, they're oftentimes more honest, and they're more impactful. Uh, Let me just tell you how I know that. Anybody here remember AOL Instant Messenger? I go home like sixth, seventh grade every day. I'd log on. I was, I live for number four Christ. I had a little buddy icon. It was a little yellow dude who was hanging on a cross. But then because I didn't pay any money for it, it would swap over to badassbuddyicons.com as an ad, right? I should have paid the 99 cents. It was a little off brand. Um, But I would go on AIM. The door would open and right, I would see the other people online. I'd read some away messages and I would start messaging people and people that would never talk to me in person would talk to me on AOL Instant Messenger. People at the locker that would never confess things to me would confess things to me about their family and their friends. We come with this idea, if we grew up knowing that the internet, like we we grew up and we experienced the internet, it happened to us. We've grown up with this idea that people will be fake online and that everybody I'm talking to is actually a 45-year-old axe murderer on the other side who's just trying to deceive me, when in reality, people are more real, more transparent, more open, more honest digitally than they have ever been with me physically. Almost all of my relationships in my church started at a deeper level than they ever did in my physical church. Nothing against the physical church, it's just reality. What we think will be true is the exact opposite. Let me tell you, JT came to our church. When he came to our church, he was struggling with addiction. His marriage was kind of on the rocks. He and his wife were just polar opposite politically. They were polar opposite in so many ways. Stuff was going on, man. They were just in a hard place. JT came into our church. We started connecting. He and I started discipling him. We started building a little bit of relationship. JT doesn't live anywhere near me. He's a factory worker. He's working a dead-end job. He's frustrated. He's self-medicating because of that frustration. A little while into our ministry, he begins to realize that God just doesn't fit his political agenda, but that God was challenging his political agenda. He began to change the way he looked at his wife and realizing that he hadn't been as loving to her as he could have been. He begins thinking through how he can love her better in hopes of restoring his marriage. He decides to get out of addiction and begins fighting against it and fighting for sobriety. After that, he joins our team. He starts serving with us. We challenged him a year ago, you should start tithing. He starts tithing. A couple weeks ago, he sends me a message. Hey, Mark, I just want you to know I'm in a small group. I've been, my life has been changed. I've been tithing for a year now, and it's completely and totally changed my life. JT's story isn't finished being written, but his marriage is a better place than it has been in years. He's more devoted to Jesus than he has been in years of going to a physical church. Let me tell you about Salty and Katie. Salty and Katie came to us. Katie was pregnant out of wedlock. Um, They were dating at the time. Salty didn't really have a great father figure in his life. He didn't really have anybody to help him learn how to be a dad. So I started building a relationship with Salty. Live in Missouri, calls me, smoking a cigarette outside of a hospital in Missouri as Katie's having their first child. And um, he just calls me because he's like, hey, I just need someone to talk to to help me through becoming a dad. So we talk through becoming a dad, become part of our launch team. They launch our church with us. Katie gives her life to Jesus from her kitchen in Missouri while I'm standing in my backyard in Pennsylvania over a call. We pray the sinner's prayer together. She starts that faith journey. They get spiritually hurt. They leave our church nine months later. They're like, hey, we really would like to come back to church. We'd like to start serving on the team. I said, listen, you left. You got to spend some months being back in. They're subservient. They, they decide to be obedient. They decide to submit to that. They begin just being part of our church and serving on the sides. They rejoin our team. Katie tells me, Mark, I'd really like to be baptized. I think God's telling me to be baptized. Like, okay, let's find a YMCA to get you baptized in. Amen. Let's do it. I'm in for it, right? She's like, no, I think I'm supposed to be baptized tonight. I think God wants me to be baptized tonight. 10 p.m., Salty draws a bath in Missouri while my wife and I get on a Zoom call in Pennsylvania. We say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, while her husband dunks her and her son's in the background of the shot. We film it, record it, share it with our church family. So it's a public declaration of faith. Short time after that, she has their second child, Shiloh. Then Salty and Katie get on a live stream with Shiloh and their son, Weston. They devote their, ta- their children to the Lord and decide that they're going to raise their children in the ways of the Lord. They covenant with the Lord live with our church family. I ask our church to covenant with them. Put a five in chat. Raise your hand if you're willing to covenant with Salty and Katie and helping them raise their children in the Lord. And 70 people from our church family covenant with Salty and Katie to help them, assist them, stand with them to raise their children in the Lord. Let me tell you about Doc. Doc comes to our church from a Lutheran background. His wife had never heard him pray. 
they were Christians. He grew up in a Christian home. He had seen some really rough stuff. His mother was a doctor. They spent a lot of time in the mission field. But Doc's faith had always been more of an academic pursuit. He's extremely logical, lives in Wisconsin. He's a scientist, extremely, extremely smart, way smarter than me comes to our church, begins connecting with the Lord. His faith and understandings of theology begin to become challenged. He joins our team. He soon becomes the leader of our dream team, which is all of our teams, serving our people. He's praying every single week for our entire team publicly with them. He joins our elders team. He becomes our first internal elder and begins serving our church as an overseer. The first time I meet Doc in person, by the way, I've never met any of those other three people in person. The first time I meet Doc in person, he's getting off a plane in Pittsburgh. I'm picking him up at the airport because the next day, I'm putting us all back on a plane to fly to Uganda to do some of the most intense missions work in a cult-driven community in western Uganda. We, we just jumped with two feet into the deepest end of the swimming pool when it came to missions work that I'd ever experienced. And I had only known Doc online, but we picked up right where we left off because we had been in ministry together online for two years ministering to people. So if you're wondering if the relationships are real and if transformation can happen digitally, it can. But it can't if you're thinking platform first. When it comes to church planting, if we're only thinking platform first, you're gonna have a really hard time having any stories like these, and these are just a couple that are picked out. <laughs> There's tons and tons more of lives that are transformed. And I gave you all those details so you know they're not just a face and a name, I know their stories. I've been with them in their hardships. I've wept with them, I've prayed with them, I've prayed over them, we've baptized them. I baptized Doc in a dirty pool of water with cows 20 foot upstream in the middle of nowhere in Uganda. These relationships are not invalid, they're some of the most valid relationships and discipleship journeys I have ever experienced in over a decade of ministry. It's not only possible, guys, it's necessary. It has to happen, and here's why it has to happen. Because the coming generations are increasingly hybrid and also increasingly holistic. There's three different groups you're probably in this room. There's people who matured and then they experienced the internet. There's people who experienced the internet as maturing. And the next generation that's coming has only known a world with high-speed internet. For them, the internet is not a thing that happened to them or something that they can have access to. It is a force of nature. It is like wind. It is like the dirt. They can't imagine a world without it. My daughter's six years old. YouTube is learning her as she is learning her. The next generation doesn't think to split their lives and create an alternate version of themselves that exists only online. They have an outpouring. They are hybrid, meaning they cannot be understood except they're a thing made of two different things and they're holistic means they cannot be defined unless they are defined in both things. They can't be separated. We, my generation and older, typically are hybrid but dualistic, meaning we have digital experiences, but we tend to split them off and view some as valid and some as invalid. And here's the reason, because this is Star Wars. This is what we thought technology was going to look like. This is what it was projected as. We thought it was gonna be intrusive, right? But this is the Apple Watch, that's what it is. <laughs> Tech developers are pushing your screens to the very edges of your devices because they want you to walk seamlessly between one world and the next. AR, VR, MR, all of the versions of reality that are coming down the line, they aren't gonna stop just because they make us uncomfortable. Did I get that right? I added it in, yeah, there you go. I didn't even know it existed before today, so that's quick learning. Um, yeah, all, 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 all of those things that are coming down the line that are gonna impact our churches, they're not gonna stop just because we're ticked and we don't think that they're healthy. Just a heads up. <laughs> they're not gonna stop. And so we as churches have to learn, instead of being hybrid dualistic entities, we have to learn how to be hybrid holistic entities, how to walk seamlessly between digital and physical worlds, and we gotta stop berating people for doing that. I'll give you two quick stories. I spoke at the Right Now Media Conference last week. I got done with this, and a mom came up to me in tears saying, every time my son doesn't do good in school or he doesn't do his chores, I ban him from getting on his Xbox. And I didn't realize I was not just taking him from a gaming thing that he loves, but I was also banning him from his closest network of relationships. I was literally starving. I am starving him of community. And for me, those relationships aren't valid. <laughs> but for him, they are. Jim and Amy Brown, members of my physical church, come to me and they say, our son, Sean, um, he told me the other day that he's, he's going to Canada to going on a ski trip with his friends. And I said, what friends? And she, he said, oh, you don't know these friends, mom. And he said, what do you mean I don't know these friends? I know all of your friends. He's like 20 years old, right? Just moved out of the house. How many new friends could the kid make? And he goes, no, I've been playing on Xbox with them for 10 years. 
I'm going to go to Vancouver and I'm going to go skiing with them. The next generation does not view digital space in the same way we do. It's different. It's unique. And in many ways, it's more beautiful than any generation that's come before them. They're going to walk. They don't see the difference between physical and digital relationships. They don't see, oh, you're an online friend, so you're less valid than this in-person friend. They walk between these two worlds. Now, this is a hypothesis. It's my hypothesis. And the reason that we launched Lux Digital Church inside the gaming community was not because I love gamers so much. I do love gamers deeply, and God's equipped me to reach them well. But we launched it there because we had this digital microcosm, this, this little, tiny, not little, it's huge, this enormous group of people who are already digitally natives where we could experiment with digital ministry in a way the church I knew was going to need it 10 years from now. The goal of Lux Digital Church is to experiment in digital space to see if we can have a fully fundable example and model of what it means to be a digital church existing entirely in digital space so that those who come after us have something that they can follow. Last slide. So what the heck am I supposed to do? Well, listen, gone are the days that you can't do anything digitally, most likely as a church, but also gone are the days that you can do things digitally unintentionally. <laughs> And most of us as churches, let me just be real, most of what we're doing digitally is super unintentional. We're just like, well, yeah, I mean, Karen Newhoff said I should put a camera in the back of the room, so I'm a camera in the back of the room, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I should do that, right? I, yeah, I, I understand that, right? I, and I totally get that. Like, I get it. I get the desire to be able to reach people. So let me just give you what I think are three examples of different digital models that you might be able to use. The first one is your live stream, and it's a goods and services model, right? This is unapologetically, I am putting a camera in the back of the room. It doesn't have to be super excellent. It doesn't need to be pre-recorded. We are doing it because there are people who aren't going to be able to attend church with us this weekend because they're at camp or they're in the hospital or they're shut in, and we want them. They want to feel like they're in the room. It's cheap. It doesn't take a ton of time. You hook up a couple of cameras. You figure it out. You get a team around it right? This, it, it's got to be really authentic. It's got to be in the room. It doesn't have to be super polished because the only people coming to view you are the people who already have a relationship with you because people go to where they have relationship. They don't hang out online with people they don't typically, right? And so for you, you're not trying to do anything super flashy. You're just trying to get your live stream up. It's, a, it's a, just another service that you offer to your church family. The next one is a digital campus, and this is rooted in digital evangelism, right? There's a couple of churches who do this really, really well, right? Life Church does this really, really well. Craig is like super good back in there at looking at specific cameras. They have, it's polished, man. It's freaking beautiful. They do a really, really good job of this. But the end goal of this at Life Church is different, right? But the end goal of many people with digital campuses and digital evangelism is I want to get you to a physical church. I want to get you to a local church so that you can be discipled, right? Most churches are confused between these two things. They don't really know which one they are. They're somewhere split between these two things. They're doing a little bit of each. Let me just be really clear with you. This is super expensive because every person that can click on your live stream who doesn't have a relationship with you can also click on Life Churches, can also go watch Furtick, can also go watch Olstein. They can go watch anybody they want. And so if you want to try to get in the space, just be aware that you're either going to have to find a niche, a really specific niche, or you're going to be in heavy competition because everyone is a click away from you. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm sure that some of us are really great communicators in there, but none of us are gross shells and verdict's not in the room, right? And so in my opinion, most people are going to go to a place where they can get a better product. If they're looking to consume and you're creating something for them to consume, they'll go to a better product to consume typically, right? But in the end of the day, if this is your motto and you're just trying to do the man, the best freaking product that you can put out there. Great. Go ahead and do it. Help people get plugged into a local church. Don't just leave them in your online audience and never do anything with them. Connect them through something like glue to a local church. Help them find a local body to plug into because they need to be disciples. You're not called to do a live stream. You're called to make disciples. Lastly, it's this. It's a digital church, and we're talking digital discipleship and relational ministry here, okay? This actually is not the most expensive. It's just the most time-intensive, it takes enormous amounts of emotional time and energy. It's painstaking. It's hard work. It's well worth it, but it's not the most expensive. So when we were looking at planning a church, we were working with uh, Stadia Church Planning, who's in the room right now. And I was working with some physical church planners, one who was planning in L.A., and for their first couple of years, they need like 3 or $4 million to be able to get their church on their feet, right? I was looking in my community. I was looking at 100 k in startup costs just to be able to get equipment to start a physical church in my community. We built a studio, so when we planted our church, we didn't think of ourselves as a live streamer, we thought of ourselves as a church plant, so we raised funds as a church plant. So when we opened up our studio, we were in probably the top very high 1% of live streamers on Twitch in terms of quality of both sound and video, right? We were really, really, really excellent. 
and I built the entire studio that can seat an unlimited number of people for less than 40 grand. Because it's actually affordable, it's not super expensive, it's just super time intensive. It's about building relationships. It's about getting in the weeds of people's lives. It's about building relationships with JT and Salty and Katie and with Doc. That's what digital church looks like. And for me, it is my heart that the physical church is across our country. I wish that we would have learned one of these things throughout a pandemic instead of just we put our live stream on the internet, got ticked that it didn't work, and now we're ticked that people won't come back. <laughs> There's better ways to do it and higher levels of intentionality that we can do it with. And I'm not trying to disparage the church or attack the church. I love the church. I just want to spur on to greater works. It's really my heart. So if you're here today, man, you like, man, I'm thinking I, something's compelling me. I want to refine what we're doing online. I think we need to take our live stream down. Some churches need to just quit doing it, right, for a season, figure out what they're doing and get some intentionality wrapped around it. Come and chat with me. I'd love to chat with you. I don't know how much time do we have left. How much time do I have left? Okay, great. Um, I'm just going to take a little bit. Of, that's the end of my talk. Uh, I know it was long. Um, if anybody has any questions, I'd love to take questions and answer questions. Yeah, I'm sorry, because of the live, we're in the live stream room. That's my bad. And you're loud, but not loud enough to go through my microphone. Yeah. Yeah, we're the internet. Yeah, can't shout into the internet. Am I good? Yeah, you're go. good. Go ahead. Um, so what advice would you give to churches who are wanting to perhaps step foot into the digital church aspect of this uh, in balancing intentionality for gospel presentation, evangelism, and discipleship, with real relationship building, i.e. actually getting to know the people who are coming? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it has to do mostly with a mentality shift, right? It has to start with sitting around with your staff inside of a church and just you're sitting down and you're saying, okay, guys, let's get everything on the table about what are we doing digitally? What does our social media presence look like? What does our stream presence look like? What does our Facebook presence look like? And then it's gotta, and then it's gotta sit down and say, okay, um, if we're not looking at platform first and advertising first, but we're looking at relationship first, how can we begin opening up doors for people to talk back to us so we can start building relationships? I think, it, I think it, it literally takes something that drastic. Let's put everything on the table and then let's reimagine what we're doing online with a relationship first mindset rather than a platform first mindset. Is that helpful? Did I answer your question? Anybody else have a question? Greg has a question. Oh, we got Nate. I really liked your biblical, non-biblical, anti-biblical uh, mindset, but I'm curious, as you've been planning a digital church, what have you found are the not necessary but important non-biblical aspects mm -hmm. for digital ministry? Yeah, and that's a really good question. So our church is a little unique in the fact that we knew when we started it that we were forging a path forward. And so I, I knew that... Physical churches wouldn't A, fund us, and I knew physical churches wouldn't take us seriously if we looked too different. I also know that I've never been an unchurched person. I've only ever been a walked away from the faith person. So we unapologetically are trying to get to people who know the church but walked away from the church a long time ago, right? And so for us, our church services, our online services, um, look one-to-one -one like a combination of a just chatting stream and a lot and an actual church service so that way the average d church person who comes in says this is unique but i recognize it right so it doesn't scare them away in that way i think that there are other approaches that you could take but when you see our church service tonight for example you'll notice a very similar structure right there's some stuff that are added that maybe are a little different we do things a little bit differently but a time of prayer a time of worship right? All of those things that are structured into our service. I, I think that a time of gathering is important, but I don't personally think that doing all of those key devotions during the time of gathering is the most important thing. I don't, I don't actually don't see in the Bible where every time they gathered, they did all of these key devotions. They lived their life in this way. If I was going to do it again, and we were going to do something a little bit more innovative and break it apart, we might do different pieces at different times throughout the week. We might experiment with that. And so what are some of the other pieces that I think are really important? A small groups have been really important for us. Like that has been just an absolute staple bedrock piece of our church. 
Um, team building has been really important to us. I think that you can make a biblical argument for team building in general of sort of like, you know, handing off ministry to the next generation and working through people, um, but certainly having like really robust systems for building teams and leadership development has been important since day one. Um, and then certainly like, I'll go back to small groups, like small groups are just literally like our bread and butter. Like that's where, we're, and then like, we have our own version of the church potluck, right? We have community game night once a month or community movie night. We just get together and meet with some people. We don't get a lot of people for it. To be honest with you, it's not going well, but we keep doing it because we get a couple of people each time that maybe had never really connected with me before. And then we also have like our own digital version of like the church fellowship hall, right? So post-service, we get done. We open up a bunch of chat rooms. We have a meet the pastor room. We have a welcome room. We have um, prayer rooms for times of ministry. We have open chat rooms and gaming rooms where people from our team are coming in to hang out and get to know people. Very similar to how people would gather in the parking lot before getting in their cars after church, say goodbye to pastor on the way out the door, or would stop and grab a coffee and stand around a tall table or go to a next steps booth at the end of your church service. Like a lot of those things that would similarly be staples inside of a church, but aren't necessarily in the Bible are things we're just looking for digital implementation one-to-ones. The people that have I've been working with, like Drewzy I'm working with right now is I'm going to be planting an online church. As I've been working with him, it has been the challenge of like, okay, what's the next step in innovation. Like you're seeing a lot of one-for-ones from a physical church to a digital expression for us. And that's by design and it's intentional so that physical church pastors can wrap their minds around what we're doing and can be get on board with it. Otherwise, it's too foreign. It's just too strange. The church can only take so much innovation at a time is what I've learned. And so we have a lot of things that are comparable and easy to grasp and understand. But I think the next generation of digital-only church planters will do things that break that apart a little bit more and will even break away from sort of like the service-centric model of digital ministry, digital church. Is that helpful? Yeah. Greg, hey, did you have a question? Uh, Greg oh, yields, I'm sorry, but there's Greg a yields his time to the back. He he gives it to the internet. Oh, okay. Hey, we internet, got a couple. We got a couple of questions from online because yeah. we are live streaming this, and in the spirit of digital ministry and how to, let's go to the internet. So, uh, hey, your friend and mine, John Rush. He asked hey, Rush. this question. He heard uh, he heard uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick, and his ears perked up. So, oh, my bad, my bad, Rush. This. I wasn't he trying says, to throw any shame. No shame. Uh, John Rush works for Elevation. Yeah. He says, hey, uh, how does the digital church model compensate for, in your words, inferior preaching? Hold hold up. What? (laughs) Inferior preaching? Well, I mean, he's he's adding verbiage to something that you didn't say, but you said you could go and listen to anybody anywhere. How does the digital church start up? How does it compensate for what might be seen as inferior preaching? Um... Okay. So no, that's, that's a, that's a really good question, right? Like how, like if, if I'm, if I'm in this, if I'm in this, it's gone now, if I'm in that secondary, let's say I'm in that third model, why would people come and experience anything that I'm doing at Lux? And once again, not go to a place like Elevation or Life Church where they could experience those things. Um, a, a lot of that is because our, con- like our church is just not consumption friendly. And I, I'm not, I'm not showing, I'm not throwing any shade at like, what other churches are doing or what large churches are doing. I think that Life Church and Elevation specifically are doing a lot of really cool things in the space. They're experimenting in really cool ways. I think that Saddleback has been doing that for many, many years as well. And I'm like big fan of Jay out at Saddleback and love what they're doing as well. Um, but I, I think that, right, because the, it's the same reason that, right, like a, if you have a local physical church that there's people who are going to show up and they're going to listen to a pastor that might just largely be boring, maybe, maybe, and, and they're not going to sit at home and listen to somebody who might be more engaging in terms of their sermon and their teaching, right? Um, it's because they have relationship, right? They have relationship with that pastor. They have relationship inside that congregation, right? And so we are just creating open opportunities over and over and over and over and over again to step into relationship. It, nothing is come and consume. Everything is come and step into relationship. And so we're just constantly inviting people to step into relationship. And people will come and listen to your preaching, even though my preaching is not as good as many people's on the planet. They will come every single week and they'll listen to me teach because of relationship. It's the same reason there are certain people who lead worship who I connect with very deeply, even if they're not the best worship leader on the planet, because I have relationship with them, and I worship more powerfully with people that I tend to have relationship with, right? And that's why we feel more comfortable with specific worship. You go to another worship church, man, that worship leader might be much better, but you just don't worship in the same way you did with your own church because you have relationship there. And so I think that that second model of like the broadcast model, the digital evangelism model, it's saying like, hey, here's a product, but it's, de- it's detached from relationship. 
right? It's detached from relationship. And so that middle one isn't trying to cultivate relationship, whereas the first one, the goods and services, says relationship exists, so you will attend. And the next one's saying, we're going to develop relationships, you become part of the community. Or the middle one is saying, we're not really worried about relationship, we're broadcasting and connecting you to a local church where you can go build relationship, right? Is that helpful? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Hey, last question here, coming from online again, and then we'll close out the session. What do you think is the biggest hurdle that the digital church will face in the upcoming years? Oh, um, so I think one of the one of the hurdles is going to be funding. Um, the other the other hurdle, right? The ground is is um, fertile, but it's just untilled, <laughs> and so there's a lot of hard work. Um, and I don't know how hard it is to plant a digital, ch a physical church, but if it's anywhere near as hard as it is to plant a digital church, can I just say that I want to quit a lot? Um, and it is a heck of a lot, e like it would be a lot easier to quit most days. Um, and whether that's from imposter syndrome or my own, my own mental things that I'm dealing with, um, or, or that's just because some days it's just really freaking hard. Um, I think that, that um, you know, Stadia, one of the things that they did when we went through their program was measure our grit. <laughs> And if you don't have high grit, this isn't for you. Like, just to be perfectly, if you don't have a lot of stick with itness, like if you're not willing to buckle down and wake up the next morning and get ready to go and head back into the field, even though, and it's just switching gears really, really fast as the pastor. So it's really hard on leadership because you move from like really intense, deep conversation to fundraising conversation to then shifting into writing a sermon. And then you have to shift into making content. You have to shift into video editing and you got to shift into podcasting. And so throughout a day, I might be in four or five different skill sets that I'm working on developing because I'm just not great at any of them. <laughs> And so I'm working on becoming better at them. So I think one of the things that'll be a big obstacle will just be the, the labor intensiveness of it uh, that it has on leaders. It's just really, it, I think it's gonna be really, really hard on leaders. I think the other side of that is gonna be funding. Um, so there's two things that we've realized. So the people who are attracted to digital churches, right? They're either Christians who don't fit in in a physical church, and there's reasons for that, right? Maybe they're a little odd. Maybe they're neurodivergent. Maybe they have something else going on. Maybe there's super, a lot of trauma, which means there's all, there's all sorts of stuff that you have to then sort through as the pastor, right? Because like the, oftentimes like the clean engineer who goes to church at the local church isn't then going home being like, you know what? I'm really looking for an online church experience. No, they have a church experience in which they feel comfortable. Right, And then the other people that you end up attracting are people who are spiritual explorers who have been far from the church or never been in the church that take a long time to disciple and cultivate relationship with to the point that they're willing to start tithing and understand generosity. Right. The other thing is that at this point, at least, unless they're coming from GSC, no one has been discipled in a digital church before, ever. So every person that you have coming to your church who is discipled is almost always connected to a physical church that they're already giving to, already tithing to, and already part of. So I've had a handful of people that they came to our church and they were at another church. Actually, most of our people came to our church. They were at another church and it took them almost two years for them to finally say, you know what, Lux is my church. They were attending both and I don't make people pick. <laughs> it took them a couple of years to get to the point like this, this is my church, this is my people, this is where I want to be. And I think that, um, so the funding model for a digital church is a little bit slower. The building is a little bit slower. Um, the intentionality that you have to have is much higher. You don't, you don't accidentally rub off on people in a digital church the same you do in a physical church. In other words, like if, you're, um, if, if uh, me and Blocker are sitting here having a conversation, right, and then one of you are watching, I'm, I'm rubbing off on you as a leader because you're seeing how I'm interacting with Blocker from afar. You're kind of grasping how I'm interacting with people. You're grasping what I'm saying, right? That doesn't happen in the digital church. So if you want to train and equip somebody, that doesn't happen accidentally. It all has to happen with a super high level of intentionality. So you have to constantly be pursuing people, constantly be meeting with people. It's hyper time intensive, way more time intensive than I thought it was going to be. And so because you don't accidentally rub off on people and it takes a high level of intentionality, just means more time, it's more draining. Um, and, and that's hard as well on the leader. So the two things, the finances of it, trying to figure that piece out, which if you have questions about the finances piece of our church, I'm, we're an open book. I'll tell you, tell you anything. And then the, the next piece is just the, the burnout on the, on the leader and the planter is super real. And there's just, there's no one who understands it, right? There's not a lot of people out there that understand. That's why I'm good friends with Matt and GSC is because just, there's no one else to grasp it really. And um, it, other than that, you're even amongst church planting friends. I'm, you know, when I sit with my church planting friends and I say, we launched a Dungeons and Dragons outreach ministry, 
they have no context for it, right? <laughs> so, and so it's just, it's just fresh. I need to wrap? Okay, I'm wrapping. I'm done.